Dr. Blake Pearson. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's been a it's been a minute since we last talked. I feel like the world has shifted dramatically, but that's only happened over the past seven months. Um, but but uh, you, of course, are the founder and chief medical officer of Greenly Health, uh, of uh, Pearson Health uh, Clinic. We're going to talk about all those things, what you're doing on the medical cannabis front. Um, but but I thought we would talk specifically. It's Alzheimer's Awareness Month. Um, you do a lot of work with with seniors. It has been a topic of uh, intense conversation, sort of long-term care facilities in, in Ontario and across the country. So I wanted to put a marker, talk to you, and uh, well, but first, how are you doing? How are you finding what's going on? I'm doing well, thanks. It's good to see you. Uh, you know, I think I haven't seen you since maybe one of the uh, strain print parties or something oh, like that. That's old school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So doing good and kind of navigating this like everyone else, you know, it has its challenges, but uh, both with I'm fortunate in that um, if I'm seeing patients or our, our clinic uh, team are seeing patients, we can do that virtually. And then on the Greenly Health side, we've been training physicians in, in other countries now for a few years and using a lot of Zoom technology. So it was an easy pivot as far as working with physicians, physicians in cannabinoid medicine um, to just do things over Zoom. So fortunate in that sense. Yeah. And, and I guess, I mean, you, as you said, on the Greenly Health side, you're, you're doing a lot of... Uh, doctor training, right? Um, and, and if I'm not mistaken, before sort of COVID and lockdown, you were traveling certainly around the province, training doctors in so, uh, that work with seniors um, about how, how to incorporate cannabinoid medicine. Um, like, have you seen that sort of uh, be on pause, increase, decrease? Like, what are you seeing sort of as you view the landscape? Um, so it was certainly hectic um, Pre-COVID, which which was great, you know, we were we were very busy, and I was I was driving around the province like like a madman, and uh, also you know flying to other countries as well. But that obviously has stopped. But because we were again doing things in other countries, our our kind of virtual game and program um, was already in place. So it's there was an initial slow right when COVID hit, but now things are getting back into the groove. And I'm actually finding we're having more success as far as physician engagement and um, adopting into practice uh, with the training over Zoom compared to live. So it's actually been a little bit of a silver lining. Do you attribute that to it's, it's uh, easier to connect? It's um, like, what do you attribute that to? Or, or maybe a general interest in sort of the type of medicine you practice? I think a few things. I think definitely... A general interest, uh, especially as it relates to seniors, um, really, there is a kind of a common sense uh, argument for, for using it for chronic pain, using cannabinoids for chronic pain uh, to reduce polypharmacy, using it in dementia patients to reduce antipsychotics, but also kind of just in the art of t teaching this. Um, I think Zoom kind of brings down a barrier that physicians have in that in a group setting, they might be a little bit uncomfortable talking about it within their, with their peers or certain biases kind of come up in that setting. Whereas uh, over Zoom, we can strip it down and it's, it's more personal and I feel like we can connect better, which leads to, to them kind of taking the training a, a little bit more seriously. I like the, I don't know if it's ironic, but the fact that you can connect better and make yeah. it easier and drop barriers, even though you could be, I mean, you could be tens of thousands of miles away, but, 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 but certainly, you know, hundreds of miles away or kilometers away in Ontario. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. well, we're and, social and creatures, I, right? And and I think in that group dynamic, there's a lot of looking around and and for this purpose, it, it's funny, like you say, that Zoom could provide a better connectivity, but uh, it's a little bit more um, accepting and a little bit less barriers for the docs. Yeah. And people are just getting more used to it. I mean, big picture. I, I mean, before we came on, I told you that uh, over the summer, my daughter had a had a, basically a Zoom visit with her pediatrician, which was the first time, I mean, first time ever that they've been open to anything like that. And I guess, I mean, that that's sort of a bigger trend is, is uh, a trend towards just being more open to any of those things using technology. But then to me, I mean, then it seemed to make more sense if, if it's something, in this case, it was near infection. You said it's not something, if it's so obvious, you don't need to sort of sit in a waiting room and maybe get other people sick. Um, but, but I wonder, um, as we think about sort of seniors and senior care and, and the intersection of that and, and medical cannabis, like, how, how, do you think we're on to a trend that is longer term, both acceptance from doctors, acceptance from patients, and acceptance as like normal course of care? Um, and, and I think it's relevant, obviously, in the case of Alzheimer's Month that we talk about it and related to dementia specifically. Like, what do you, when you're talking to doctors or talking to patients, like, how do you describe the potential benefits? Well, I think kind of answer the answer the first question. Yeah, I think we are on kind of long-term track here that is is still on the upward trend and, and looks promising. And that's for a few reasons. Um, when I'm speaking with, with the docs, really highlighting uh, on the chronic pain side that uh, there just aren't really a lot of good, good alternatives. You know, we have an opiate crisis. Physicians are aware of that. Um, there's, there's new algorithms that have cannabinoids um, right on par with, with things like pregabalin, gabapentin, some of these other medications, um, and before opiates. So now that some guidelines are changing a little bit, you have that, you have just the real, real world experience as becoming undeniable for any physicians that adopt cannabinoids in practice. And that's, that's really uh, the fun part for me is, is working with the docs. Once they start prescribing, um, I've yet to see someone not continue to incorporate it in practice because ultimately you do have some positive cases. So a mix, a mix of that when it comes to chronic pain and then on the dementia side, again, the messaging that we can actually use this and reduce antipsychotics, which are very harmful, um, increase mortality risk. How about that for a side, of, <laughs> side effect? You may die. Um, <laughs> so there's, again, some logical arguments, uh, increased stroke risk with antipsychotics. Uh, logical reasons to adopt cannabinoids into practice. So I do still uh, see it as, as a really positive long-term uh, area of medicine that's developing. Yeah, I mean, that's encouraging to hear. I mean, we obviously, we see the numbers, the sort of aggregate numbers of patients, aggregate sort of dollars amounts spent from through licensed producers on medical cannabis versus, you know, uh, adult use recreational. Um, but, but we also see uh, I'll shift it to the States a little bit because we also sort of have a view of what's going on down there and the precursor to sort of any sort of legalization effort is a medical program and just way more States every year are adopting medical programs. And so, you know, I just look at sort of trends around the world and what happens in North America, but specifically in the U S has major impacts of what happens in other places. And I think uh, as more, as obviously Canada has you know, legalized, but also has a robust medical program. We see the seeds of more robust medical programs in Germany and, and to a lesser extent in the UK. Um, but the states will really be driving what I think is 
uh, sort of the almost an accelerant on the trend that you're talking about is that states coming on so rapidly and every state that comes on it's like where Canada was five or six years ago right it's it's this trend and and I guess from your perspective you said uh, sort of traveling around the world or zooming around the world now like where where are you seeing this trend of doctors interested in it and where you're actually doing some doctor training so um the, the one thing that's nice here in Canada is that, you know, we're, we're training and we're using uh, exact doses of THC and CBD. Everything's regulated. The physicians are involved uh, the, whole, the whole way. And that really is kind of real medicine, you know, five milligrams of CBD or 10 milligrams of THC at night. So in these models where we have medical streams, um, that's a good thing. Where, where in the U.S. right now, it's a little bit blurred because it's, it's more of a, okay, see the physician, here's your card, get whatever you want, walk into the dispensary, we're done. So that is a huge market. There's huge potential in medical cannabis, but I'm worried about the U.S. because the lines are so blurred between rec and medical. I'd love to see, I'd love to see some type of LP in the U.S. or some type of organization really put uh, a medical on the forefront and kind of to answer your, your question about the other markets and where, where that's occurring, obviously here in Canada, but even we could get better with our, our medical stream. Um, but places like Germany, um, Australia has been really impressive um, working there. There, you know, you're working with really talented sales teams, um, just like in, in the pharmaceutical industry, but Australia's done a great job. Their, their teams are well-educated in speaking with physicians. It's going through the pharmacy um, and, and really the training there that I've done has been uh, the best yet, like as far as adoption. So I've been really pleased with those physicians. And same thing on Germany. That market is, is very, it's a large market with uh, proper infrastructure. It's, it's taken some time, but if the U.S. wanted to kind of take a look at the best from Canada, Australia, Germany... Uh, that would be recommended to kind of build up what they need to do. Yeah, well, it turns out the U.S. doesn't like to listen to anybody else uh, <laughs> on this front or maybe any other, uh, much to their detriment as we uh, continue to lock them, <laughs> lock them at the Canadian border. Um, uh, uh, but, well, you must see Americans coming in through Sarnia for, for work and stuff, but, but uh, certainly the, the border's been more or less shut for everybody yeah. else uh, over the past couple months. Uh, we can hope that changes with the new leadership in the States. Um, but, but I, uh, I, I do, it is good to connect with you because I think, um, you know, prior to 2018, we spent a lot of time talking medical cannabis. We have an annual event around medical cannabis week, but, but it really is something that is essential. Um, and it is also something that is, is happening in Canada that, that other countries are aspiring to right? a real infrastructure on medical cannabis, tr doctors that are trained. It's basically a different stream than the, than the adult use recreational. It's mm. much more about dosage, much more about teaching doctors, much more about um, sort of patient engagement and learning. So it is always great to connect with you. And I appreciate the time because I feel like we could, we could do this all day. Um, but, and maybe we will, maybe we'll just sit on and do it all day. But, but I want to, um, and as we post this as well, I'll also post links to sort of how to get in touch with you because I think, um, as always, there are leading doctors who have incorporated this practice and are sort of, uh, you've learned and you're teaching others, which is always essential. And, and I guess one, one last question, because you talked about sort of breaking down the barriers of maybe not being in a classroom setting with doctors or a team of doctors, but being more Zoom. Like, what is the response from doctors? Like, what types, what are the top three questions they sort of ask you as you sort of 
talk about this type of medicine and incorporate into their practice? Well, it's, it's interesting because um, it's almost like uh, physicians speak a, a universal language. So whether it's Canadian docs, German docs, the Oz docs, um, the questions are generally the same. Uh, you know, they want to know about impairment and which concentrations have the potential to impair, which don't. Uh, that's always a big question. Driving concerns, always uh, a big question. There's certain biases that are the same uh, across the board. Every physician's a little gun shy with what happened with the opiate crisis. So that ultimately comes up, you know, are we just replacing one bad thing with another? And then I have to tell them, well, you can't melt down and inject cannabis and uh, overdose. And obviously there's a lot of uh, common sense reasons why it's not the same uh, situation as with opiates. Uh, but, and then there's always just uh, physicians with flat out biases from the years of misinformation, reefer madness. So those are some, some common things, uh, regardless of which country you're working in. We need, we need more doctors just to have a good hang in a sesh, I think. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm only partially kidding, but it's like many doctors, I don't know sort of your background, but like uh, sort of, you know, university, very serious students, pre-med into medical school, into residency, into becoming a doctor. Like it's, there's not a lot of time for playing or experimenting within that time horizon. Uh, but maybe we should incorporate that into the med school program. Yes, it should be uh, a prerequisite. On a, on a serious note though, it definitely should be, for gosh sakes, it should be part of the core curriculum, uh, endocannabinoid yes. physiology, right? Uh, so case examples, get people familiar with it other than what's typically taught of just a drug of abuse. And perhaps in the curriculum, then maybe uh, you know, some personal experimentation might be a benefit too. <laughs> I, I think so. And we'll, on that note, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put that on pause for some when we're all back together again in real life. Uh, but I, I appreciate your time, Dr. Pearson, and your expertise and the work that you're doing and, and, and coming on and talking about sort of what you're experiencing in the field. So thanks for your time. My pleasure, Jay. Thanks. 